We're in week two of this four-week sermon series called God Is, as we're reflecting on the um, unchanging characteristics of God. And today we'll be learning that God is reliable. So let me start by asking you, who's the most reliable person you know? Are you thinking of somebody? Someone you can always count on. They will never let you down. Well, God is reliable in that way, and we'll talk about that, but he's reliable in other ways too, and we'll explore some of those ways this morning. I found an interesting website that talks about the most reliable professions, at least according to the people surveyed. I found it really interesting. The most reliable profession, according to the survey, were nurses, and number two, medical doctors, three, pharmacists. I thought it was interesting that the top three were all in the medical profession. Number four, this is a good one, high school teachers. Yeah, we want them to be reliable. Number five, police officers. They ought to be reliable. Uh, finally, number six, the clergy appear. So I'm grateful for that. Uh, I'll take number six, I suppose. Hey, I won't tell you what, who came in dead last. I won't tell you, but I will tell you who came in second last. And I'm not just making this up for a laugh. laugh. Uh, second last were members of Congress. Uh, so yeah, they're proving themselves to be that. Um, so reliability. I'm, boy, this is such a blessing to me this week to prepare because I'm really relying on God for a couple things, as you heard Pastor Tim just mention. We're looking for a new coordinator for Thanksgiving care and share. We, we can't even remember how long we've been doing it, but certainly tens of thousands of free Thanksgiving meals have been given out here on campus and delivered over the years. And uh, I'm over that. You saw I was the guy to respond to. And if God lets that go away... If it's his plan, okay, um, I will feel very bad about it. I think we all would too, but I'm relying on him to raise somebody up. So maybe that's you. Uh, it's my daily prayer, Lord. I'm just relying on you. I, I can't do this. So raise someone up to be that new coordinator of that. And if that's you, I'd love to talk to you. Two other positions to mention that I'm off, also the overseer of that I feel a little bit of like, oh, God, bring this through, please, is the Meals on Wheels coordinator. We've talked about this. We've had lots of good interviews. Uh, not quite a, a right match yet. This is a paid position. It's a part-time position. And if you know anything about Meals and Wheels, it's a crucial ministry in North Royalton to feed people who can't uh, get out and get food for themselves. I'd love to talk to you about that. And one more, if I could throw it in, it's the Servant Saturday Coordinator. We've been doing that for a long time, where we go out into the community, uh, community and bless people. Lisa Martin, again, who has been the coordinator over that for a long time, is stepping down. So would you step up and be that coordinator? We'll train you and, and get you plugged in that way. I'm just relying on God. It's my daily prayer. Lord, I'm relying on you. You'll raise up the right people. So I'm sure that he will. Our text for today maybe is the shortest one I've ever preached on. Six simple words. Old Testament, book of Malachi, I, the Lord, do not change. May God be honored with his word this morning. Let's come together in prayer. Faithful Father, to you we ascribe glory, honor, and majesty because you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You don't change. Your mercies are renewed daily. And just as you have been in the past, you forever will be into the future. Our Lord is the same unchanging rock, immutable hope, firm foundation today that he was yesterday. Father, guide, bless, and direct the sermon today. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, my Lord, my rock, and my redeemer. In Christ's name we pray, and together we all say, amen. Let's start here. Number one, God is reliable in his consistency. If you're writing in notes, filling in the outline, write in consistency, but next to that, write, God is unchanging. That's what we're going for here. God is unchanging. The religious word for this is immutable. I have to tell you, up until about six months ago, I have to um, expose myself a little bit here. I thought immutable meant he couldn't be silenced, right? It's got the word mute in it, and if you're immutable, that means you can't be silenced. That's not what immutable means at all. Immutable means that he is unchanging. The God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament, the God of today is the very same God. God is unchanging. Psalm 102, 
25 through 27. At the beginning, God, you founded the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. Even they will perish, but you endure. Yes, all of them will wear out like a garment. Like clothing, you will change them, and they shall be changed. But you remain the same, and your years will never end. The psalm writer's talking about creation the changes in the heavens and the earth, maybe referring to the end times when Jesus will bring a new heaven and a new earth to creation. Maybe he's talking about the changing of galaxies, the death of stars, the birth of solar systems, changes that we see in creation, the reshaping of land masses through earthquakes, volcanic eruptions causing the altering of terrain. And then he changes and contrasts the dynamic nature of our created world with the immutableness, the unchangingness, of God. He is consistent, and that makes him reliable. New Testament, uh, James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows, who does not change like shifting shadows. God is unshakable. He's unvarying. Our God is constant. Our God is enduring. Let me show you a couple images Tragic. Uh, someone thought it was a good idea to build a house on sand near the ocean. Uh, things shifted and down came the house. Similar image. You can't see the sand quite as clearly, but again, someone decided to build a house on sand. Um, things came, right? And the house collapsed. And for this very reason, Jesus speaks about our faith being firm, not because of the strength of our faith, but because God is firm. God is a rock. And doesn't Jesus speak to that specifically in Matthew 7? Let me read to you from the Bible. It's not up on the screen, just me and my book and us together today. Jesus speaking, saying, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash. God is reliable because he is unchanging. He is a rock. Rocks, okay, they do shift in creation, but metaphorically, God, our rock, does not shift. Number two, God is reliable because he keeps his promises. God is a promise keeper, and that makes him reliable. Because we live in a fallen world where we see promises made and promises broken, it's almost like we're programmed not to believe promises anymore, and that's tragic. That's tragic because God is a promise keeper. He makes a promise, and he keeps them every time. Let me take you to the story of Abram, not yet renamed Abraham, and the promise that God made. We pick up the story in Genesis 12, verses 1, 2, and 3. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land that I will show you. And then God starts making promises. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, whoever Uh, curses you, I will curse. And then one final promise, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. 
So we follow the story of Abram and his wife Sarai. God calls him to leave the land that they're comfortable with, the people that they know. And he promises to make him the father of many nations, even though they're unable to have any kids and are way past baby-making age. God's going to use their lineage to grow many nations. God changes their name to Abraham, which means father of many nations, and to Sarah, which means princess and the mother of nations and kings. And God promises to give them a son, and he does. He gives them a son, Isaac. Remember, this miraculous boy, even though they're unable to have children and way too old to have babies, God gives them one anyway. God keeping his promises. And then a strange twist, right? God tells Abraham to take this boy Isaac to Mount Moriah and to sacrifice him there. And Isaac must be thinking, I've only got one boy, and God told me that he was going to use my lineage to make many nations, and now he's asking me to to sacrifice this boy. I wonder what's going to happen. Well, we know from Scripture that God stepped in and stopped Abraham and provided a ram for the sacrifice instead of Isaac. God keeping promises. He is reliable. And the story continues. We jump ahead a few chapters. Genesis 22. Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me, Abraham. So for our purposes today, this whole story of promises, Abram, Abraham, Isaac, the lineage, the nations, what does that mean for us today? So big deal. God made nations from one guy. One of those nations was Israel. And from Israel comes Messiah comes Jesus from, the, from the, the, the line of Judah, remember? So God is saying, like, you will be a blessing to many nations, and I will bless the entire world through you, specifically because one of your descendants will be the God-man, Jesus, who comes to take away the sins of the world. We skip over the beginning part of Matthew often. We open Matthew, and it's that long lineage of names. It goes down, and we especially skip Matthew 1.1, because simply it says, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, son of David, the son of Abraham, there it is. God made his promise early and fulfilled it in Jesus. God is a God of promises. If anything, this book is a book of promises made and promises kept. If anything, this book is a book of promises made and promises kept. I will bless the nations through you, Abraham, and specifically that'll happen through Jesus. And there he was, Christmas morning, right, in Bethlehem. We know the story. And the angels sang, and the angels heard, and the kings came, and the whole story. 33, 32 years later, he goes to a cross. Why did he go to the cross? Why was he executed as a criminal? He was no criminal. He was the only one perfect to have ever lived. Because I'm a criminal. Because we are lawbreakers. He took our sin onto himself and paid for it on a cross. And that was God's plan for redemption. That was God's promise of redemption that came true, that was fulfilled in Jesus. Last week, we were all paying attention because Pastor Zardi's message was excellent. Point number one from Pastor Zardi last week, God's saving graces erases your guilt. You won't find anywhere to write this. This is from last week's sermon. But this is it. God's grace erases your guilt, an unmerited gift. That's what Jesus is, a promise kept. What we were unable to accomplish, Jesus accomplished for us. Well, Number three today, God is reliable in his word. We have this word, and um, so I'll just say it in the positive. We trust it. It is proven to be truthful. Um, it is God's word for us. Everything in it is true. We can't pick and choose. We can't say, I really like this part, but this part makes me uncomfortable, so I don't think it's true. 
God is reliable in his word. Psalm 119, 160, all your words are true, period. There, it says it. God's word is reliable. Let me just share with you five ways. There are many, many more, and maybe for you to research later that you can know that the Bible is reliable. The first is that we have thousands of biblical manuscripts that all align They all say the same thing. If this was a false man-made thing, they would vary a little bit, these thousands of different manuscripts. They would be different in some ways. We're not finding any of that. Number two, archaeology keeps proving that the Bible is true. They keep uh, uncovering things in in the Middle East, in Palestine, and in, in Israel that, oh gosh, this was talked about in the Bible. There's the structure. Number three, the original writings were faithfully preserved. Back in 19, the 1940s, we found those Dead Sea Scrolls. <clears throat> You've heard of those? These are ancient biblical texts, and they compare them with the texts for today. Specifically, the book of Isaiah. They found a copy of the book of Isaiah among the Dead Sea Scrolls that predated anything we had by 1,000 years, by a long time. And guess what? The wording is the same with the Bible that we have today. You can rely on the fact that this is God's word and it has never changed. And and maybe my favorite, at least that we'll talk about this morning, is that billions of lives have been changed. That's thousands of millions of people have read this reliable book and they've tried it. Now, if this thing was false or partially true or a lie, billions of people would have tried it. And maybe a few people who were simple, let's just say, and easily duped would hang on. But the rest of us would go, this is a lie. I've tried it. But billions of us have tried it, and it's true. And God's word even speaks about that. Psalm 34, 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Try it. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, you like him, you think he's good, he did good things, but you're not really following him, taste and see, try it. Give your life away to him. Confess of your sins, repent, be forgiven, and walk with him and see if the reliability of the Bible isn't true. Um, we had this a sermon series a, couple, a while ago in a small group series. Some of you remember it. This was written by an atheist homicide investigator named J. Warner Wallace, and he was looking into whether the Bible was true or not. So he was using his investigative cop techniques to see if it was true. He was using all exterior, nothing from the Bible. He was using all external um, facts and ways of resourcing, you know, history and politicians and proofs and these types of things. And this staunchly passionate atheistic homicide detective became a Christian because he found out that the word is true. God is reliable in his word. Well, if our God is reliable, and we look briefly at the fact that he's reliable in his consistency or immutability, his promise keeping and in his word, what does that mean for us? What's the practicality of it? Well, it means that we have peace. He is a rock. He doesn't change. If you're like me and you see things in culture that you don't understand and how quickly things are changing, it shakes me up a little bit, but I have the reliability of God to rest on. He's not pacing in heaven, throwing his hands up, saying, I didn't see that coming. I don't know what we're going to do. I have peace because God's got it. Uh, The Bible talks a lot about peace. Old Testament, Isaiah 26, God speaking, peace, I'm sorry, uh, you will have peace. You, you will keep in perfect peace, God says, those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. And th- then we jump ahead to the New Testament. Jesus says, peace, I leave with you. Jesus is telling us, my peace I give to you. I don't give it the way the world gives it. You're going to get it in a different divine, supernatural way. So don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. A, a couple chapters later, John 16, I've told you these things. Why? So that in me you can have peace. In this world, there's going to be trouble. You're not going to understand everything. It's going to be tough. But take heart. I have 
overcome the world. Have peace. So if you're looking for peace, remind yourself from Scripture of the reliability of God. He is a rock that doesn't change. Number two, related but different, I have security. If God is reliable, I have security. The definition of secure is interesting. It's to be fixed or fastened so as not to give way, become loose, or be lost. Friends, that happened in your baptism. You became affixed, we can say it that way for our purposes this morning. You became attached to God so as not to give way, become loose, or be lost. Whenever you look up a definition, right, it always gives a, an example sentence too. I thought this was cute. To, uh, it says, check to ensure that all the nuts and bolts are secure. And I thought of all of us, all of us nuts and bolts, right? We're, we're secure because of what God did for us, not because of the strength of our faith or our, our own goodness, but because of what God did for us. And in that, you can have security. Ephesians 1.5, God decided in advance to adopt us. It was God's doing. He decided to grab us, to adopt us, to make us part of his family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. There's a, a locksmith promotion online that I thought was clever, this locksmith company. They listed the most secure places on earth. That was a good thing for a locksmith company to do. And the, most, uh, the number six most secure place on earth. Now, these look like bars of gold. They're not. They're spines of ancient texts. This is the Vatican Street Archive in Rome. It was deemed the sixth most secure place on earth. Number five, the Federal Reserve in New York City. Probably pretty important to have that be secure. Number four is so interesting. I know a little bit about this. This is Svalbard Global Seed Vault in Norway. In Norway, it's mostly underground, as you can see, and they like the cold temperatures. They've gathered as many seeds as they can from plants around the world, and they're storing them there. I guess the thought is in case something happens and a lot of our plants are wiped, wiped out, we can plant them again. They thought it was important to make that place secure. Number three, Fort Knox, Kentucky, where a bunch of gold is, I guess. Uh, number two, I like this one, Area 51 in Nevada, officially a U.S. military base. I don't know. Let's find out. What do you think the most secure place, the most secure location in the entire world is? What do you think? The White House, very good. 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, at least according to this survey. The most secure place on earth. These places are nothing compared with the security that we have in Christ. He's got us. John 10, Jesus speaking, my sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they will follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And then look at here. No one will ever snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Our reliable God means that we have security. And see, if God is reliable, I can give, my way a life, my, give away my life without fear. That's what's required of us, right? Jesus says, he doesn't come in and say, kind of add some of my principles to your life or Think of me in high regard. and He says, lay down your life and follow me. Everything that you prioritized in the past goes away. Everything that you thought was important is not yours anymore. Let me be your treasure. And we can do that without fear because he is reliable. Matthew 4, Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee. He sees two brothers, Simon. They called him Peter, his brother Andrew. They were casting a net in the lake because they were fishermen. And Jesus says these remarkable things. He says, come and follow me, and I will make you fish for people. And then the most incredible response. At once they left their nets and followed him. 
Going on from there, he sees two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, his brother John. They were in a boat with their father Zebedee. They were preparing their nets, and Jesus calls to them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. They gave away their life to follow Jesus. He's calling us to do that too, and we can do it without fear because he has proven himself to be reliable. Christian author Don Carson talks about this idea of giving away your life, the new life that we have in God. And he says God's people have been so transformed that through their conversion to Jesus Christ, they, they now come to develop a new set of goals. We have new lives. We think differently. Priorities are different. Prompted and shaped by goodness and faith, they inevitably formulate new purposes, decidedly Christian plans, Christian goals. We're encouraged in this in the New Testament book of Romans where Paul writes, I urge you, brothers and sister, sisters, in view of God's mercy to what? To offer your bodies as living sacrifices. Die to your old nature. Let them be holy and pleasing to God because this is true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. So we're headed for home here. A couple of next steps. I'll spend a little more time on these next steps than generally we usually do. But number one, this is at the bottom of your outline, to remind yourself of the truth that God keeps his promises. He promises to be with you. He promises to give you peace. He promises you to supply you with all your needs. He is reliable. Number two, and we'll spend a little bit of time on this because I couldn't get to it in the sermon, but build a reminder of God's goodness in your life. Go home and read uh, Joshua 4, chapter 4, maybe 3, 4, and 5, but 4 especially. Briefly, this is the story of God promising the Hebrews to have their promised land, Canaan, but they've got to cross the Jordan River. How in the world are we going to cross this river, God? He says, take the Ark of the Covenant, have your priests hold it. When they dip their toe in the river, I'll hold back the water, and you can pass through. They do that. He stops the water. They pass through. As soon as the last one is over, the priest picks up his foot, and the water is and then God says, stack some rocks here so that when your kiddos come around in generations, they'll go, why in the world are these rocks stacked? And you can say, because God kept his promise. He said we could have this land. And we didn't know how to get across, but he provided a way. So build for yourself something, some reminder. Maybe it's a note on your uh, mirror where you get uh, ready in the morning, God's a promise keeper, or God is reliable, or something like this, or, or maybe it's in conversation that you'll have this afternoon with your family, or the people you'll see this, this week. Build for yourself reminders of God's goodness in your life. And number three, it's a big ask, completely step away from your life and your priorities and follow him. He's holding you. He will never drop you. God has you. God is reliable. Let's pray. God, you've shown yourself to be reliable, but somehow trusting you is still hard for some of us. We have a hard time letting go and letting you take control. We need help releasing our control to you, so help us in that. We trust in you. We pray this in Jesus' name, and together we all say, amen. Thanks for taking the time to learn a little bit more about Royal Redeemer. We want you to be a part of our Royal Redeemer family here. May God richly bless you and guide you, and I truly look forward to seeing you soon.